Our scripture passage this morning is going to be Colossians 2.8, and I'm going to not be able to cover everything in the sermon outline, way too aggressive, but just listen to Colossians 2, 5 through 8. There's an exhortation. Paul says, as we saw last week, for though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted in Him, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then our verse for the day, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, and not according to Christ. I had the privilege after graduating from college of going to Singapore and Southeast Asia for two years. I did youth work and coached basketball with the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a wonderful time for me. Uh, met some great families, missionary families. One of the families I met had two boys in my youth group, so I got to know them very well. They had a fourth grade daughter, fifth grade daughter, who was very precocious and was a constant reader, uh, always thinking and left, kept in touch with them. Three years later, we had the opportunity of going back through Singapore to Indonesia to be with my in-laws. And uh, the day before we left DFW, in the Dallas area, we received word that this little girl, who was now an eighth grader, had gone into their bathroom that had a gas heater where you had to turn it on to heat the water for your shower. And she sat down to read as the water got warm and there was a malfunction with the gas, and she was overcome with gas, and no one was there to find her, and so she died. And so we flew to Singapore, heartbroken, had supper with her mom and her dad, and it was just horrible. Every year in America, there are close to 500 accidental carbon monoxide poisoning deaths. Carbon monoxide poisoning uh, is, happens is, is colorless, is odorless, and is tasteless. Usually we know that you become lightheaded and oftentimes nauseous before you're overcome, but many times you are not. There are many people who advocate carbon monoxide detectors to be put in homes so that that would never happen. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, the, the worldview around us can seep into our lives, and it is somewhat odorless colorless and tasteless, and it can win the day unless we are fully aware and know the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. There's a quote in the bulletin, the sermon guide, from a man named Philip Johnston, who was professor of law at the University of California, Berkeley, for years, who became a believer late in his life. And this is one paragraph, but it's so good. Let me read it. He says, every one of us has a worldview, a way of thinking. And our worldview governs our thinking even when, or especially when, we are unaware of it. Thus, it is not uncommon to find well-meaning evildoers, as it were, who are quite sincerely convinced that they are Christians and attend church faithfully and may even hold a position of leadership, but who have absorbed a worldview that makes it easy for them to ignore their Christian principles when... It comes time to do the practical business 
of daily living. Their sincerely held Christian principles are in one mental category for them, and practical decision-making is in another. Such persons can believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the world, and yet live as if the standards of this world are the only thing that needs to be taken into account. It's an incredible statement. First of all, he says, everybody has a worldview, even though you don't know it, some of us, and, and that and that people who may be well-meaning can really be evildoers because they haven't thought through the ramifications of following Christ. Conversely, there was a man who spoke at a lecture series at Princeton College in 1910 named Abraham Kuyper, who is the prime minister, former prime minister of the Netherlands, has started the Free University of Amsterdam and a magazine called The Weekly Standard. Multi-talented. And, and he said this. This is an incredible statement. He said, there is not one inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry, this is mine. So whether it's law or medicine or homemaking or education or physics or engineering or whatever, it's all under the lordship of Christ. We all bring it under the lordship of the Lord because it says in Colossians 1 that all things were made through him and by him and for him and in Christ all things hold together. So, so Paul says, I, I plead with you, I plead with you, see to it that no one takes you captive. And the word, the word there means to, to plunder your possessions or to kidnap you. See to it that no one plunders your possessions and kidnaps you and, and leads you to ruin because you don't think well. Because they're thinking on three bases. Number one, human tradition. The elemental spirits of the day, which I believe is the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age, the spirit around you, and not according to Christ. See to it. Be very, very careful. Don't think haphazardly. The church in this book was confronted with something called the Colossian heresy, which is a hydra-headed teaching that downgraded the person of Christ, that mocked the reality of the sufficiency of the cross. And, and so Paul says, see to it. Be careful. Some other verses use the same word. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, see, see to it, lest he fall. Luke 8, verse 18, Christ says, take care how you hear the word of God. Be careful. Be very careful. Luke 21, verse 8, he said to them, see to it that you are not led astray. Be very careful. And Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Be very careful. So I say this morning to us, say, listen, be very, very careful. Paul says, based upon the fact that you have a church that has good faith and you have order and you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him, being built up in Him, being rooted in Him, being established in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Therefore, see to it, brothers. Be very careful that, that no one takes you captive through the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age, and through fine-sounding nonsense that denigrates the person and the work of Christ. So know your culture. Sometimes when we have dinner guests over, we play the question game, and I'll throw out a question. And one of the questions I'll throw out is, if you had the choice to be alive in any time in history, 
when would it be and where would it be? Just for fun. And people give various answers. And the problem is sometimes I meet people who really wish they were alive in some time other than the present tense. It's just a game. Listen, God has called you to follow Him in the year 2017. And you're to represent Him in your families, in your neighborhoods, in the marketplace, and in your culture. And it's difficult at times. It's tough at times. But He's called you to represent Him. Be glad and embrace the kingly rule of the living God. But it's difficult. Let me say this. We are surrounded by a culture that's pumping in carbon monoxide poisoning. And if we're not aware, we're going to be overcome. That's why this book and this passage is so important. Let me take you back to the thrilling days of yesteryear. There was a guy named Elvis Presley from Memphis, Mississippi area. And in 1956, the 23-year-old was asked to be on the Ed Sullivan Show. Remember, some of you remember Ed Sullivan, but a really big show. Remember that? Ed Sullivan, a really big show. And Ed Sullivan came on, he came on the Ed Sullivan Show. He was a phenomena. 60 million Americans watched Elvis Presley in 1956 as a 23-year-old on the Ed Sullivan Show. The next day, they were deluged with phone calls and letters that said we were offended because of the way Elvis Presley moved his pelvic region. It was horrendous. How dare you put that on prime time with our children? So Ed Sullivan said, we apologize. So Elvis Presley came on again. Ed Sullivan said, Elvis, watch the pelvic movement. And uh, he toned it down, but not enough. Again, all types of letters coming. And yet millions and millions loved Elvis Presley. Had him on a third time. And Ed Sullivan said, on this show, show him from here up. Here up. That was not that long ago. For some of you, 1956 was the year after Columbus discovered America. But I tell you, it wasn't that long ago. Another example. In 1942, there was a movie called Casablanca that was released that was called one of the greatest movies ever, starring Humphrey Bogart and a Scandinavian named Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman went on to fame, and she made a movie called The the, the, the Bells of St. Mary's in 1945 and 1948, she did Joan of Arc, all critically acclaimed. Uh, everyone knew Ingrid Bergman. And so in 1950, she created a scandal because it was released that she was living out of, out of wedlock with a filmmaker named Roberto Rossellini, Italian. And not only was she living with him out of wedlock, she was actually pregnant. And it, it caused a stir. I, I, there's been immorality forever, I know that, but generally speaking, it created a stir. She was denounced in a subcommittee of the U.S. Senate, for heaven's sake. And seven years later, she's married Roberto Rossellini. She's had twin girls, three children with him, and then they divorced because he kept the roving eye going on. But anyway, she was in a movie called Anastasia. Ed Sullivan wanted to bring her on his show. But he said, the producer said, will she be well-received? So they sent out an appeal, should we have Ingrid Bergman on the show? And two-thirds said, yes, bring her on. She's been forgiven. That but but it, it, just, just the thought that that was scandalous. Today, we're glad if people in Hollywood are married for one month or two months or three months or five years. That's just a silly example. And here, here they are, in case you don't know what they look like. That's Elvis over there, okay? 
So I, I, I say that to show you how quickly the culture, that's just a silly little example of how the culture has changed. And I, I'm telling you, please hear me. Paul would plead with us, see to it that no one kidnaps you in your thinking or plunders you of the glory of knowing Christ and being rooted in Him. Be very careful how you live. So, two general comments. Number one, everyone has a worldview. It's just the way of viewing life. Everyone has a worldview. It's the way they view the culture, the way they view things. And again, Paul says the worldview they're pushing on you is according to human tradition. It's not rooted in time and eternity. It's the latest ism. Number two, it is something that is filled with the elemental spirits of this age. We're not sure what that means. But I think it means the spirit of the age. And number three, it is not according to Christ. Everyone has a worldview. Secondly, when you study church history, everything is just a new way of being repackaged. Everything's repackaged. I was thinking about people who, are, many of them are well-meaning, but they deny the reality of God, and they say we don't answer to God. And the psalmist dealt with this in Psalm 14. The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, the word fool there doesn't mean intellectually vacuous. It means someone who just says, I don't believe there's a God to whom I will answer. And the psalmist says, that's a foolish person. He says that they are, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. There are certain people, they just, there's no one to answer to, so they do their own thing. He says, the Lord Jehovah looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God, but they have all turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even and so the new atheism that many articulate, very bright people are espousing is nothing but an old thing dressed up. And I'm going to give you a story, then I'm going to take a breakaway, but it's part of the story. So my son-in-law uh, went to the University of California, Berkeley to do an, a graduate degree uh, shortly after he was married to my daughter. So we went to visit them in San Francisco and had a wonderful time. It's a beautiful city. And so he was in class one day, and it was in late April, and we just did a walking tour of San Francisco. And one day we went to the John Muir Forest, and it was just a beautiful Sausalito. It was just great. And on the particular day, I'd done some research, and I saw where the San Francisco Giants, who had won the World Series two years before, were going to be playing at uh, 2 o'clock against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I thought, wow, and I, we're going to be down there. And, and I also knew that, that there was no way I could entice my wife to go to a baseball game, that she grew up overseas. And, but as I researched it, and this is really great. And in San Francisco, there's a part of the outfield that's behind a cage, and you can stand there. They ask you just for two innings and watch the game free. Free is a good word. And so we, we walk around, and we stand there and watch the game for two, two innings that's free in this almost packed stadium. And it's a glorious day, and I'm happy because I've got to see some Major League Baseball. They're happy because it was only two innings. And so we, we exit, and there's the bay on your left. It's just a beautiful city in the financial district, and it's great. Now, break away. I grew up 
um, eating this spam. Now, some of you are laughing. I did a survey, and my wife said, what is it about spam? I was asking all type of people, did you eat spam growing up? And a lot of people said, yes. And I said, have you eaten spam since you have grown up? And the answer has been no. I mean, spam is a canned meat that was first introduced in 1937, the aftermath of the Depression, because it was pretty cheap. Then it became very popular and eaten more and more during World War II because of the rationing. So we could feed our troops. People ate spam. Some people say it stands for spare meats, spam. Uh, by the way, the Spam Hall of Fame is in Minnesota, next to the Curling Hall of Fame. It's a true story. Curling Hall of Fame, Spam Hall of Fame, Minnesota. Anyway. So I grew up eating Spam uh, uh, and, and liver and squirrel. I mean, we ate all kinds of things growing up. Rabbit. We call it rabbit. Rabbit gums. Doom, stream, boom. Rabbit. The Spam. And I, I haven't eaten Spam since I left my parents' home because I hated it. Um, anyway, that's Spam. So back to San Francisco. We've exited the AT&T Stadium. Beautiful day. We go around the corner. And this is what happened. There's a spam truck outside of AT&T Stadium. I'm, I'm serious. And they're out there. They all have uniforms on, young people, attractive people, balloons, music. They're waiting for the 40,000 people to exit the stadium and to introduce them to spam. And so they're saying, they, they sir, would you, like, would you like to taste a pretty big sampling of Spam. You know what? I ate it because it was free, and I'm a guy, you know? If somebody offers you food and it's free and you're a guy, you eat it, you know? So I ate it, and I thought, it's still spam. You can have it in a new truck with attractive people in uniforms and balloons, and, and it's still spam. Listen, when you hear these things, these, these, these statements that denigrate Christ, and all, it's still spam. There's nothing new. So Paul says, be very careful. See to it. See to it that no one plunders you. See to it that no one kidnaps your thinking. Today is Father's Day. I, I love the biblical counsel of manhood and womanhood. It's a website, and this is what it says in part about masculinity, the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility. I love that. Benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect others in ways appropriate to man's differing relationships, including their wife and their children. It is the sense of a benevolent responsibility. And I think God give us hundreds of men who understand that. And I, I, I was thinking about recently this man named Joshua who exhibited benevolent responsibility. Joshua is the lieutenant of Moses. Moses has died. Joshua's standing on this side of the Jordan River, this side of the promised land. And, and the Lord says to him, Joshua, you know, this book of the law, the book of Moses, shall not depart out of your mouth. But on it you shall meditate day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall prosper and then 
you shall have good success. And the book of Joshua is about this warrior chieftain leader named Joshua who does just that. And so you fast forward to the end of the book and get to chapter 23 where Joshua is giving his final statement as an old warrior for the living God. And Joshua says things like this. Listen, chapter 23, verse 6, Therefore, be very strong to, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them or we can add or sacrifice your children on their altars, which they did. But you shall cling. See, how's that for a see to it word? Cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. So cling to him. Verse 12, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off of this good ground that Jehovah has given to you. Be very careful. And then in chapter 24, he says these words that many of you have read many times. Verse 14, now therefore, Joshua says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord your God. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I say to us men, be servant leaders who have the benevolent responsibility to stand up and say, come hell or high water. We will serve the God who is eternal, who is triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is God of gods, who is my King and my Savior, and I will stand here with purpose and dignity. And I'm, I'll go to Colossians 2.8 and say, see to it. See to it that no one plunders you with high-sounding nonsense that denigrates the reality of Christ. I, there are a thousand applications here. I was listening to some lectures by a man named Carl Truman who teaches at Westminster Seminary. He's from Great Britain. And he was just talking about uh, the, the United States as an observer. He's talking about the pursuit of beauty. And Carl Truman said this, he said, uh, I didn't know this. He said that George Orwell, the writer, came to America in the 1930s and toured America and wrote an article for a British publication. And George Orwell said that Americans are absolutely smitten with the pursuit of physical beauty because really the epicenter of America is Hollywood, California. And uh, George Orwell said, excuse me, he, said, he just said that, that, that we're, we're eating up with that. That was 1935 or so. And Carl Truman said, you know, I'm just absolutely amazed at American television. He said, if you're under five foot nine 
and you're a female, so you can't be a runway model because you've got to be a little taller. And just, just become a weather person. He says, I go around America lecturing, and, and all the women who broadcast weather are absolutely stunningly beautiful. And so I look at my little girls, and I say, that's a standard we can't attain to. And when I said that, you know, that's just, it's, it's, it's really sad. And just an observation. One reason I like to watch the British Broadcasting Corporation is because so many of their actors look normal. They're normal looking. And I turn on American TV and everybody is drop dead gorgeous. I mean, somebody walking to Starbucks, when you do a break your necks, and who in the world is that? I mean, they're just normal. BBC just kind of a lot of normal people with very bad accents. You know? But I, I thought about raising children in this culture. And I, I thought about, I don't watch the Academy Awards because it comes on too late, but I know that, 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 that really the, the highlight of the Academy Awards potentially is the red carpet entrance. And I, and I thought about the people who walk on the red carpet, and they're beautiful people dressed gorgeously. And, and, and sometimes I will see a magazine article, I'll just Google them, and, and, and I'll read about the number of times they've been married and the number of times, so some places, they've been in detox centers, and the number of times they've done this and that, and they don't even mention the number of abortions they've had because it wasn't a good time to have a baby. And all the brokenness and the pain of multiple partners and this and this, and it does not end well. And I think we're holding these up as cultural icons for us to pursue, and it's, it's a joke. And I think of Proverbs 4.18, it says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter and brighter until full day, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And I just thought of people that have been married and they're believers and they've been married 30 and 40 and 50 years and there's a tenderness and a joy that can't be touched by this other crowd because this group believes in the reality of the living Christ and a covenant-keeping God. And how we need to trumpet on Mother's Day and Father's Day to our children that charm is deceitful. Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. There's a poem named Richard Corey by a man named E.A. Robinson. I haven't memorized it. Let me give you the basic. It says Richard Corey was imperially slim and handsome, and he was gifted. And when he said good morning, the lady's pulses fluttered, and he glistened as he walked. He had it all together. And we labored every day, and we longed for the night, and we longed to be like Richard Corey. And then one calm summer night, Richard Corey went home and put a bullet through his head. I'm saying the red, that's the red carpet. And, and how, how we need to say, I will not be seduced by the culture, by this culture. I will not let the poisonous gas seep in without being challenged by a biblical worldview. So let me give you very quickly this, how, how do you avoid being plundered or kidnapped? Four quick things. Number one, think you, you don't fall into a biblical worldview. You've got to listen to good podcasts, read good articles, think, think, think. You don't just absorb things. You think. I don't listen to the news. I don't watch the news, period. I'll sometimes watch an interview. but I, I read magazines. I read the Wall Street Journal. 
editorial. I don't read the business section because I don't understand the business, but I, I read the editorials in the international news. And I said, God, give me a mind. I've got some podcasts to listen to. Some, I, I mentioned that last week. But, but listen, you're not going to fall into a Christian worldview with a culture that's pumping carbon monoxide into your house. You're not going to. So you've got to think. Secondly, you've got to think in community. I need the body of Christ. I need people speaking to me and thinking and challenging me and helping us think together. I've got to be with believers. I've, I've got to challenge this, this culture around me. I've got, I've got to think. I, I need that. See, several years ago, there was a book written by Hillary Clinton entitled, It Takes a Village. And, and, and a lot of people like pushed back on that and said, well, she's advocating, advocating the nanny state. She's advocating taking children away from their primary caregivers and moms and their dad. I, I, I didn't see that. What, what I saw was a, a thesis that I fully agree with. It takes a community of faith to raise a child. My children are gloriously grown, and I love them. And I look at these vacation Bible schools, 500 kids running around, and I'm thinking, boy, moms and dads need the body of Christ to come beside them and to help them nurture these children. You did that for my kids. Year after year, year after year after year, you loved my kids. You cared for them. My, my son, my, my son was a 110% boy. And when he was in the second, third, and fourth, I think fifth grade, there was something called Royal Ambassadors, which is a program for young boys on Wednesday nights. So and my son loved Royal Ambassadors. And it involved memory work and Bible things. I, I said, wow, I'm really glad. And so let me tell you why he loved Royal Ambassadors. It lasted about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. And he had some, some leaders who understood boys. And so they would do Bible lessons, Bible stories, Bible memory with the boys for 30 minutes. And in the last 40 minutes or so, it was football outside or kick the can or games. And I thought, I thought a hundred times, thank God that there were young men who understood boys and loved them. It takes a community of faith to raise a child. Moms and dads, hear me. Grandparents, hear me. Thirdly, we've got to listen and love people. We've got to listen to them. A lot of people, more about this next week, uh, have a worldview that doesn't countenance the reality of God. They're not out to destroy you, but they're operating from a faulty presuppositional base. So we, we listen to them and we love them. We don't browbeat, we don't belittle, we don't mock. We speak gently. We speak with the mandate of Christ and the aroma of Jesus. There's a quote here from a woman named Nancy Piercy who wrote a book called Total Truth and Saving Leonardo. It was about Leonardo da Vinci, not DiCaprio, but Saving Leonardo. And she says this, and I just thought it was interesting. She says, there, there's no danger, hear this, of being naive or uncritical about false and dangerous messages embedded in a secular culture because a fully robust biblical worldview gives the conceptual tools needed to analyze and critique them. Believers can apply a distinctly biblical perspective every time they pick up the newspaper, watch a movie, or read a book. I agree with that. 
I mean, if, if you have a robust biblical worldview and you're able to look at life, then you can, you can go into these places. You can listen to people or watch movies you don't agree with, and you can have dialogue and be, because you, you're able to understand. Many of us were nurtured in this by a man named Francis Schaeffer who just talked about art and philosophy and music and theater and so forth. But he came at it with a robust biblical worldview that helped him to understand and dialogue with people. That's what we need to do, to think well. And then to enter into these areas, where, you know, arts and ch children and sexuality. More about that next week. And just speak graciously, biblically to our culture. And then the fourth point is we've got to plead with people as we love and listen. We plead with them to consider the claims of Jesus. We plead with them to understand that the tomb really is empty, that he really did live, that he really did die, and he really did rise from the dead, and he really is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he really is going to come again, and he really is going to judge the living and the dead. And that's the ultimate reality. And when you get hold of that, things just tend to fall together. So, brothers and sisters, be careful. See to it, see to it, that no one takes you captive, plunders you by general philosophy and high-blown nonsense that's based upon mere human tradition, that's based upon the spirit of the age and not according to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, and I, I do pray you make us good thinkers, uh, that we would live out the reality of Christ, whether it's in our relationships or family or the way we respond to issues in our culture and the arts, movies, whatever. Help us to think and live with a gracious, loving, pleading, biblical mind. And we will thank you for that by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.